This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. So why do seagulls live near the sea? Because if they live near the bay, they'd be bagels. Welcome to Wings and Things, where you'll find real answers to real questions about everything you want to know about pet birds. Care, feeding, bird products, travel, and more. Everything to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. From parrots to parakeets, cockatiels to cockatoos, you'll have a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about your fun, feathered friends. So, spread your wings and get ready to fly on Wings and Things. Welcome to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Robin Shawokas from the Leather Elves. Barb Heidenreich from Good Bird Inc. has the week off. Um, today's topic is Wild Amazons with Michael Schenlinger. So, the question is, how does the behavior of wild Amazon parrot possibly relate to your companion bird? Michael Schindlinger is an assistant professor of biology at Lesley University in Cambridge, Mass. Michael has done extensive field research on the vocalizations of parrots in the wild. His re- research has uncovered some very exciting patterns and information that we'll discuss later at length in this podcast. After meeting Michael for the first time at a recent South American parrot conference that was hosted by the Long Island Parrot Society, I am even more firmly convinced that much of the behavior we see in our captive companions stems from their relatives in the wild. I know I've said this before, that you really need to think about where your birds are originally from, not maybe where you bought them or where they were bred, but where they inherently come from. Um, As Michael regaled us with stories um, from the field at that conference, I began putting those stories together with some of the stories that companion parrot owners have told me over the years. And I think the key to successful parrot companionship is knowledge in so many different forms. Um, Not just in what we do with our our bird as a pet, but what they are as a natural creature. Um, So if you get the opportunity, observe those natural behaviors. And, you know, if you get a chance to travel, fabulous. Um, If you can't, there are great videos and resources online. Um, And recognize, you know, what the origin of your pet's behavior may be. Um, use that knowledge to problem solve. You know, a lot of times behavioral issues can be addressed by just looking at them as a natural creature. Um, And we really do need to increase our knowledge of that behavior. You know, if you spend just a little bit of time on on a weekly basis, you know, make that time, fit it in, make it part of your your general pet care um, to increase your knowledge of, of what they do in the wild. So I have to take a break, but you know, after the break, I'll be back with my guest, Michael Schindlinger, creator of the film Stalking the Wild Amazons. Sitting on a branch overlooking the parking lot, the pigeons watched as a Mercedes pulled in below them. What do you think, one bird said to the other. Should we put a deposit on that car? Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. What if you could protect the life of your cat with something so simple and affordable that you already use every day? Get ready for the evolution of kitty litter. It's Pretty Litter. Along with all the features you've come to expect from your kitty litter, Pretty Litter's patented and scientific formula will also monitor your cat's health and detect illnesses early while providing industry-leading odor control. Two kitty litters, same cat, same price. But there's one important difference. Pretty Litter reacts to your cat's waste by detecting health issues simply by changing color. And the key is that Pretty Litter detects these issues before your cat shows symptoms of physical illness or pain, likely saving you major dollars in vet bills while protecting the health of your cat. 
What do you think, little guy? Ready to switch litter? Pretty Litter. Colorful insight into your cat's health. Go to prettylittercats.com forward slash cat 101 or use coupon code cat 101 to get 20% off your first subscription order. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things with your host, Robin Shawokas on Pet Life Radio. I'm here with my guest, Michael Schindlinger. Hi, Robin. Hi, Michael. Michael's a bioacoustic researcher, um, and he's with Lesley University right now. Um, Michael's going to share some of his in situ experiences with us, and hopefully we can figure out how that relates back to caring for your companion parrot. Um, so, Michael, let's kind of start at the beginning. Um, how did your passion for parrots begin? Well, I'm not sure I would describe it as passion initially. It was as much heartbreak oh. as passion because my father uh, brought home a parrot in the mid-70s that he bought from a Brooklyn pet store, and it was a, an Amazon parrot that was clearly wild-caught from his relationship with people at the time and also his really rich vocabulary of sounds, which when I met other Amazon parrots uh, that were captive-phrased, they really didn't have quite the complexity of sounds that he did. And over the years, I got to know him. We became best friends. Uh, and as I approached the possibility of graduate school at the end of my term as an undergraduate, I became really interested in the field of animal behavior. And one of my professors, uh, E.O. Wilson, suggested to people looking for a career that they not pick a crowded field. Ah. And when I checked my animal behavior textbooks, there was almost nothing about wild parrot vocalizations. Very little work had been done to that point. There, were, there had been a few pioneering studies, but nobody had really gone into the field with the parrots to try to decode what they're saying to each other or how they're saying it. Okay. So now the the parrot that your father brought home, when you refer to vocalizations, you're not talking about um, English, speaking English or talking. You're talking about natural. Actually, he never acquired uh, human words other than some human word sounds. So he had some baby babble that Mm -hmm. he would use to get our attentions, but most of the vocalizations he used were clearly of parrot origin. And I realized early on that it was much easier for me to figure out what he was saying than for him to figure out what I was saying. And so so we communicated in some hybrid language. I think right there that's an important point for people to think about, that when you're communicating with your parrot, whether they have acquired you know human speech or not, that it may take them a little bit of time to figure out what you're doing. And a lot of times it may be from behavioral cues, physical cues that you're giving them, um, that they will learn what you're trying to to get them to do. Right, but also parrots are letting you know what it is they're trying to get you to do. Okay, very good point. Um, So tell us a little bit about your experiences um, while you were compiling um, Stalking the Wild Amazons. Well, first I had the good fortune to visit some field sites that had wild parrots as I tried to figure out a place where I could actually observe them with some regularity. I mean, they're green and yellow and brilliantly colored in our homes, but 
when they're in the top of a tree, they're invisible. Going on yeah, there. they're really well camouflaged in their own environment. So I went to a few different places where there were wild studies going on. Guatemala, a study there that was uh, going on under the auspices of UC Davis. I met some researchers down in Tambopata, Peru, a place I absolutely loved, but couldn't observe the parrots because they were way up oh. in the in the tops of dense canopy. And then last I went to a cattle ranch in Mexico where a researcher, researcher by the name of Ernesto Enkerlin was studying the ecology of some of the parrot species there. And though the land was mostly cleared, there were a lot of large trees and that made the parrot viewing very easy. Oh. And the, the parrots were abundant along that little strip of coastal Mexico, even though they are uh, wiped out or, or reduced throughout most of their historical range there. Now, on the cattle ranch, were they looked at at all as a problem for the ranchers? Or? Not at all. If, at first, the, the ranchers eyed them as a curiosity. But later, when we started bringing paying tourists down to the ranch, not to capture or shoot the wildlife, but just to look. They, their breath was really taken away. They, they couldn't believe it. The owner of the ranch said to a woman from Minnesota who still runs trips to this day, um, he said, you really came all the way from Minnesota to look at the parrots? I, I don't think people understand that a lot of times. You know, that, that people who are from some of these locations where the parrots are studied they, you know, we as someone that's not there all the time or that only gets to see a parrot in captivity, you know, it's like this big, woo ah, factor. But for somebody who's living with it all the time, it, become, it becomes almost mundane. You know, it's like a sparrow when you're walking down the street. Yeah, and I've never been to Australia, but I imagine um, the cockatoos there are probably like pigeons are to New Yorkers here well, in some I, places. I know that Barbara, my co-host, has just recently been to Australia and talking to people there and, and being able to see the, the cockatoos in the wild, um, that they are that abundant, you know. And I have a colleague that I was talking to who was telling me he wakes up in the morning from the cockatoos out in the tree, you know, and, and what an amazing experience. Um, but if you live with it every day, it's just a nuisance sometimes. Or it can be, unfortunately. Right. So, Michael, your work with the Amazon vocalizations, um, I find it really exciting. It, it talks really talks to what these animals are all about um, and how we need to approach them in captivity and really respect what they are um, when they're in the wild. And so can you tell us about you know what you found out from, from your work there? Um, and I began to map out their home ranges a little bit. And Can I just interrupt you for one second? Sure. That... That speaks to something else we've talked about um, on our show before, that, you know, they are flock animals. You know, you found them mostly in pairs or threes, and and oftentimes you'll go to, to a pet parrot owner's and they may just have one. And, and I don't encourage people to get another bird to run out and, you know, fill their home with birds, but just to remember that that flock dynamic is so important, and you as the owner become that flock for those birds and you need to be aware of that social dynamic but I, I think it's important that you know when you say that's how you found them in the wild right and in wild pair bonded parrots one doesn't go off to work while the other stays behind usually I be a except parrot. <laughs> right. right they move around together quite a bit um, sorry so your um, your work so can you tell us a little bit about that 
So after I spent that first summer on the ranch, I realized that as I was mapping out uh, the vocalizations of individual pairs of parrots, I realized that unlike my uh, hypothesis before going out there, each pair of parrots were using the same calls, a large set of calls, but exactly the same to my ear and eye. I couldn't. I thought I would be able to distinguish parrots on the north side of the ranch from parrots on the south side, or tell local neighborhood groups, but uh, they were all using the same set of sounds um, without much individual distinction. When I then moved to a larger uh, distance away from my focal field area, an area about 90 kilometers or about 70 miles or so to the north, and recorded a bunch of wild parrots there, I realized that they were also using the same set of sounds, but it sounded slightly different. And so this was an accent difference, but using the same underlying vocabulary. So the same language, if you will, with a different accent. Different dialect, you could say. Different drawl. When I went inland then to yet another wild population, and they they are not easy to find. I have to point out that despite the fact that they're very loud and garrulous and social, they exist in remnant populations throughout their traditional range, in part because of habitat change and in part because people have been trapping them for pets for so long. But when we did find them up in the mountains, uh, about uh, 200 kilometers from our original field site, we found a population that also had where the birds there all used the same set of sounds as each other, but this was a completely different set of sounds from the other populations. So this was like moving into a new language. Was area. there carryover at all from one to the other? There were essentially no sounds in common. Okay. And and then I later did some playback studies back at the ranch where I was spending most of my time to see if the parrots there would respond to recordings from these other populations. And they do respond by investigating or calling back to recordings from their own population and from the population with the different drawl, but the same language. But they responded very weakly, if at all, to recordings from their own species, but in a language they didn't understand. Okay, so it's not an Amazon's and Amazon's and Amazon wherever you go. It's a matter of certain population groups. Right, right. Right, the local history that defines the sounds of a local population leads to uh, behavioral discrimination for those sounds, much much as with humans, where our ability to acquire a vast number of linguistic sounds leads us not all to speak a unique, each not to speak a unique language, but within a population we all converge upon a common set of sounds, and then between distant populations, there may be no sounds in common, and that can really inhibit communication. Okay, that's really interesting. Now, um, as far as these vocalizations, do you find that they um, carry over to captive Amazons as well? Well, I can interpret your question in a few ways, okay. so, so let, me, let me freely do that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, some captive parrots that were wild-caught retain those vocalizations even 30 or more years later. Uh, and this is true not just of Charlie, the parrot I grew up with, but other people who've contacted me to say that some of the vocalizations they've heard on either the recordings I've made or the film I put together 
are the same recordings that their parrot uses but has not heard from another parrot in decades. And so that's kind of interesting. Um, the other carryover is that parrots are immensely, especially the Amazons, they are immensely loud in their natural context because they're communicating across long distances with pair-holding territories maybe a few hundred yards away, okay. trading whatever news about the day we don't yet know, right. but, but doing so with incredible regularity every morning and every evening, at least to the parrots I was studying. And a lot of people have asked me how they can get their birds to stop screaming inappropriately. Mm-hmm. And I have to remind them that screaming is absolutely appropriate if you're an animal that lives in the top of trees across wide expanses of forest canopy. Mm-hmm. It's the way you communicate. And, and the sounds of parrots dominates the landscape out there above the sounds of other birds and animals. So what's really inappropriate is the parrot being in a small apartment. This is true. Um, but we know that it happens. And... It, so we have to work with folks um, and say, how can we use that that time, that sound, um, to allow them to be the natural creatures that they really are? I guess the trick is understanding that they love to call and to sing, and that when they're doing it, even if to your ears it sounds like screaming bloody murder, to their ears it's music. Right. And they are absolutely filled with joy when they are broadcasting at the top of their, their mm-hmm. lungs. And you have to appreciate it from that angle. And you also have to accept that that's going to be a part of your life from now on if you choose to get a parrot. And I urge you, depending on which parrot you're getting, to, to hear them at the top of their their joyous volume before you make a choice to bring one home. Right. And I, I found a quote one time about cockatoos. And um, it said that, you know, when you take a cockatoo into your home or your life, um, and absolutely I think your life is a better explanation of what happens um, that you need to accept them for what they are and you not try to change them or create something that's a quiet little house pet um, because they are such a gorgeous um, creature with so much to offer that to, to change that is to take away the essence of what those birds really are. I was at a parrot conference once where um, someone was selling a special armoire for macaws and it had uh, glass doors and it looked like a nice piece of furniture, but in addition to being large enough, according to the vendor, to put two macaws inside, you can close the doors and even close the privacy drapes, as he called them. And I said, oh, so you don't have to see them or hear them. That, that's really not the point of owning those birds, is it? It's, uh, it's, I think it's a lifestyle change, and, and most, hopefully most people who own parrots realize that it's that part of, of their lifestyle is going to be different. That if you choose to be that bird owner, that parrot companion, then you need to know that things are going to be a little bit different around your house. Um, and you know, and one of the things that I'd like to to bring up is auditory enrichment. I talk a lot about enrichment, and I feel like it's really underutilized that people, you know, either like you said, shut off that screaming or try to stop that screaming behavior, or just completely, okay, this bird's going to talk and that's it. They're only going to make these human sounds. Um, is there um, any suggestion that you have as to what people could do to auditorily enrich their pet birds? Certainly letting their birds uh, have access to a window, a screened window, uh, safely screened, mm-hmm. depending on the parrot you have, yeah. uh, or even putting their cage outside if mm-hmm. you can or a perch outside. 
I know that uh, when I had custody of Charlie, our Amazon, uh, he would love to go out in the mornings and call to the crows. Okay. Because they were about as loud as he was when he was at his best. Yeah. And after 20 minutes, half an hour of that, he'd ask to come back in. And he, he got it out of his system. There you go. And I think that's the point. You know, if you allow them that time, and like I said, we've talked about this before on the show, that my um, my son's bird is a kaik, a black-capped kaik, and he's in a window, and he can see all the birds outside and hear them as well. And the crows do come around, and I'm not sure who it's more exciting for, the crows or the kaik, but they definitely call back and forth. Um and, you know, my son's parrot's not always as vocal as, as um, the crows are, but it's, it's a form of auditory enrichment. And I know, Michael, you have um, tapes available on your website um, of your Amazon, um, some of your Amazon recordings. And I think something like that would be appropriate um, for people who have Amazons to, to play those and see if some of the, it, it does evoke some of those, um, those natural vocalizations. Right. One thing... Uh bird owners are starting to think about is what's life like for your bird when you head out the door in the morning and it's sitting there in a in a quiet room sometimes a darkened room with no sound so providing them either music or stimulation from a window or recordings of bird sounds i think is important because it's it's part of their natural sensory tuning is is to pay attention to that kind of thing. I know World Parrot Trust has um, a product called Polyvision, um, which it's fun to watch for, for you know, humans as well. Um, but it can be a stimulation, you know, and some auditory as well as visual enrichment for your bird. Yeah, and people have sent me photographs of their parrots watching Stalking the Wild Amazons. There you go. Uh, sitting there, paying attention, maybe even learning the sounds of mm-hmm. their wild wouldn't know. that be exciting if, if um, captive parrots started to learn those vocalizations, um, you know, or, or it brought back some memory that's lodged way in the back of their brains? Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Because uh, when we talk about cultural survival among human groups, um, the same sort of thing applies for populations of intelligent animals, mm-hmm such as parrots, that may have local, vocal, cultural traditions that are lost when we raise them not as whole populations, but in cages singly or in pairs. Mm -hmm. We lose that population-level culture. Right. And one of the things um, that comes to mind is people often say, well, you know, my bird, I want it to talk. And if I play bird sounds for it, it's not going to talk. There are a lot of opinions people have that are founded more on superstition than on scientific knowledge. Mm-hmm. A bird will, probably will not learn sounds from a tape, but from an interactive social partner, which is why, for example, the wild Amazons I've seen never imitate other species. They only imitate members of their social group. So. While listening to tapes might be interesting for a bird, I'm not sure they would actually pick up the vocalizations. Now, African greys are a different story, both in captivity and actually documented in the wild, where they have been seen to imitate the sounds of other species. But for most species of birds and most parrot species that I know of, they're really just interested in their social partners and those that are giving interactive feedback. Okay, that's interesting. That's very good to know. So, so I wouldn't worry about playing tapes for your bird right. while you're trying to teach him to talk. You're not going to lose all that work you've done training them how to tell you 
things and, and tell off your neighbors and those kind of things. Um, right. And again, uh, the birds probably got some sounds to teach you as well if you pay attention. And, and the fun part of that is then you can imitate those sounds. See if you can make some of those vocalizations. We, we have such high expectations for our parrot friends. We want them to learn our language and our sounds, yet at the same time, um, we really need to make that effort to, to respond sometimes to them with sounds that are more familiar to them. Sure, and share in the joy. Like if, if you can't stand your macaw screaming, you know, if you can't beat him, join him. There you go. There Wake you up go. and scream for 20 minutes. Maybe your day will go better. Okay, Michael's going to get everybody kicked out of their apartments that, that are listening. But um, Michael, Michael's also working on an eco project. Um, and Michael, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in Guyana with the project that you're working on? Uh, yeah, uh, an organization that I've I've been working with called Foster Parrots mm-hmm. has been trying to address um, some of the pet trade issues by going to the source of wild parrots. And Guyana is one of very few countries that still legally exports its wildlife for the pet trade, mm-hmm. among other things. And so a few years ago, he decided that he was going to try to turn around some local communities down there and win them over to the idea of conservation as an alternative sustainable source of income for the local community. And so working with the Nappy Village first and now with uh, another village in southwestern Guyana called Rewa, we've um, got a partnership where the local Makushi Indians there have come together around this idea of managing an eco-lodge and putting their energy there and deterring any poaching within their territory. So basically declaring a wildlife sanctuary to some extent, um, certainly from poachers mm-hmm. for the pet trade. And as as a reward for that, uh, we are going ourselves and also starting to bring other people down there to see parrots in the wild, in the trees, on the sides of mountains, flying down the river, um, taking roost at night, playing, laughing, doing what parrots do in groups and in the wild. That's so exciting. Have you now? Can you? There are a lot of folks I'm sure listening who have not seen parrots in the wild. Is it as breathtaking as as you would think? I have a friend who the first time he saw parrots in the wild, he said this only half joking like he said oh my gosh they can fly that's very true because how true. many p- people have s- seen their macaw spread its wings right. and and circle or cover some serious ground it's it's a unique experience and most of the parrot owners who have come down have been changed by the experience mm-hmm. and have returned again and again to see them and have come to understand their own bird and the differences in the life of a captive parrot versus a wild parrot a little bit more by seeing wild parrots and seeing the kind of life that they're primed for hearing how loud their calls are in context mm-hmm. it's totally you know it's it's very different absolutely and i think you know a lot of times we talk about trying to elicit naturalistic behaviors trying to provide enrichment that is naturalistically based and i think being able to see them in the wild and see, you know, see them in flight, see what they're doing, see what they do when they're at rest, you know, the communication that goes on and observing those behaviors and then trying to in some way bring a little bit of that home with them. 
So is this open to anyone? Is there... Absolutely. Uh, we are running trips that we've just... Uh, we've, we've run a couple so far as exploratory trips. And we're just at the point now where we're confident that the villagers can provide the expertise and the, the lodges are up to standard and the facilities for travel are are good and that the conditions are safe, friendly, and, and enjoyable. And we're bringing down both students from the university and interested parrot owners, bird watchers, and general animal lovers. If you love monkeys or jaguars, we can probably please you as well. Ooh, look at that. Um, and so are you going to make me eat bugs and stuff when I go? Uh, no, the bugs might make you do that, but no, no, uh, no, no, we eat really well. And most of the food that that's provided for us, quite a lot of it comes from within 500 yards of your plate, which is kind of amazing. Very nice. Very nice. So what's the best way for people to find out about this project? Uh, well, they can go to fosterparrots.com and click on the project Guyana, or they can go to freeparrots.net. If you're interested in free parrots, um, and click on the Project Guyana link there. Okay. And your work as well is available, some of it on freeparrots.net? Sure. That's that's a, a worldwide information blog for news about wild parrots, captive parrots, parrot welfare, um, feral parrots mm -hmm. in the United States, uh, all kinds of stories that document their life outside the cage. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Michael. Um, and I'm sure that our listeners have learned a great deal about their parrots and what they do in the wild. Thank you, and I, I hope they keep asking those kinds of questions. Well, thank you. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations and treat bowls, cups and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. I have some upcoming events. On September 6th through the 7th is the Florida West Coast Avian Society presenting the first annual Sarasota Parrot Symposium. Um, this year's symposium is entitled Educating Humans About Parrots. I'm always speaking on creatively enriching your parrot's lives, and Sally Blanchard and veterinarian Teresa Lightfoot will also be speaking on parrots and their care. 
On um, September 14th, the Connecticut Parrot Society is hosting their second annual Feather Fest at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Cromwell from 10 to 5. They'll have a variety of speakers and vendors um, selling parrot-related merchandise. I also know that um, Windover Wings, that is a raptor rehab, will be um, talking about their birds at that event as well. On September 27th in Las Vegas, Nevada, um, there'll be a parrot behavior and training workshop hosted by the Southern Nevada Parrot Education Rescue and Rehoming Society. Uh, Barbara will be presenting a day-long seminar on the basics of training parrots with positive reinforcement. Um, you can visit uh, www.lvbirdrescue.com for more information. Um, October 3rd through the 5th, uh, Parrot Behavior and Learning for the Veterinary Professional in Denver, Colorado. This is a three-day intensive workshop that's hosted by the Gabriel Foundation. Um, the instructors include Barbara Heidenreich, Susan Friedman, uh, Jerry Lebon, and Dr. Lori Hess. And if you visit thegabrielfoundation.org, there's more information there. October 11th, Long Island Parrot Society is presenting Parrot Expo 2008 from 9 to 5. They have a great vendor room, and I'll be speaking about um, parrot enrichment. On November 1st, there's a Parrot Behavior Training Workshop hosted by Arklatex Caged Bird Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. That's a day-long basic seminar on training with positive reinforcement. You can visit acbc.net for more information. Uh, November 8th and 9th, Barbara and I are hosting a Parrot Training and Enrichment Weekend in Austin, Texas. And there's more information on um, the goodbirdinc.com website. And then, I know it's a long way off, but May 29th through the 31st of 2009, um, the Best Parrot Conference in Edison, New Jersey, with Best Standing for Behavior, Enrichment, Science, and Training. Um, some websites that we'd like for you to visit, um, freeparrots.net, uh, fosterparrots.com, goodbirdinc.com, leatherelves.com, and bestparrotconference.com. And um, in talking with Michael, one of the resources or products that we'd like to recommend is Stalking the Wild Amazon. This is a film by Michael. It's available on DVD and VHS, I believe, on, um, at uh, freeparrots.net. That's right. And uh, you can peer with your own eyes into the lives of wild parrots without leaving your armchair, if that's what you that. you can be You can be a, um, a couch potato parrot watcher. Not that we want to encourage that, but it can happen. Um, for the enrichment tip of the week, you don't get a training tip because Barbara's not here, but um, in talking with Michael, um, I think it brought up a really good point um, that can help you creating your enrichment. Your bird's really a wild animal. Hopefully it's captive bred, but it still has the capacity for those naturalistic behaviors and you really don't want to squash those. You want to allow them to be um, parrots. And so when you create enrichment opportunities for your parrot, try to relate them back to the bird's behavior in the wild as much as you possibly can. Um, so, well, we're out of time. Um, we're working on some topics um, for upcoming podcasts, uh, things like biting and aggression, um, reading body language, sexual behavior in parrots, desensitization versus flooding, learning to play, um, boarding your companion, how to choose a facility and get ready for the trip, um, common parrot myths, and foraging, because it's all the rage. So if you have a suggestion or questions, please contact us at robin at petliferadio.com or barbara at petliferadio.com. And as always, if you'd like transcripts of this show, please visit www.petliferadio.com. So again, thank you to Michael, and uh, I guess that's it. Bye-bye. Join us every week on Wings and Things and get a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about pet birds and how to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. Wings and Things. 
only on PetLifeRadio.com.